0: Good evening everyone and welcome to Scotonomics episode 4 and in this episode we're going to be speaking about inflation and all things inflation and as always I'm joined by my um, co-host Kieran van Sweden. Hello Kieran. how are you doing? Hi William, I'm good. Uh, brilliant to see you tonight. Um, I think, is it fair to say that this is your favourite interview to date? Um, yeah, I think
1: this is the, it's, it's the most good-humoured one so far.
0: Yeah, it was, it was great, because he's covered such a, a, a confusing topic, but in such a light, um, funny kind of meandering, but coming back to the point way. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll show the interview in a, in a minute or so. It's with John T. Harvey, who calls himself the Cowboy Economist. And um, he's based in Texas and really, really good. Some of the things, some of his views on inflation were really kind of jaw-dropping to me. And I'm sure you're going to have so many things to talk about uh, once you've seen the interview. Um, Kieran, are you ready for this? Yeah, let's go for it. Brilliant. Right. Well, I'll see you in a bit uh, once we've seen the video. I hope everyone enjoys this.
1: professor in um, Texas. And um, we want to ask you lots of questions about inflation. So I think the first one we should start with is, can you give us a definition of what inflation actually is?
2: Yes, I can, which would have made for a very short interview if I'd opened with no. It's just an average increase in the price of of goods and services. Uh, What they do is, it's actually kind of interesting that they survey people to see what they buy in an average month, for example. I assume it's the same way in the UK. And then they track those prices over time. And the inflation numbers you see, for example, that were just released in the U.S. today is simply an average of the increase or decrease of those prices. Today, it indicated that U.S. prices of goods and services had increased by 5.4% over the past year. And the uh, big chunk of that was just used cars. So, you know, you have to break it down and see, you know, oh, my gosh, that everything's more expensive. No, 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 that's not true. Uh, And if you're not in the market for a used car, it's not really going to affect you at all. Um, But it's just an an average increase in prices. It does not include um, stock prices or or anything like that. However, you can have spillover from such things. Um, It's quite possible to have an increase in oil prices, for example, just because oil price futures get bid up because people decide to speculate in that market. But... Nevertheless, the inflation figures you see are just for goods and services, and they are based on, hopefully, a representative um, set of goods that people tend to buy on you know, a monthly basis. And, of course, they update that over time. No one buys uh, you know, A-track tape players anymore, for example, so we can drop that one out safely.
1: I-, I wanted to go through the things that you said in the Forbes article, which I thought were very succinct and very clear when you're talking about inflation. And I think the point you've just made is that people have to bear in mind when they say when inflation is going up, they really have to look inside that and what that actually means um, rather than just take it as, you know, oh, it, everything's going up. Right. So what you said, first of all, in that article is that inflation doesn't hurt everyone because it's a redistribution, not a net loss of income. So could you elaborate on that?
2: I could indeed for many hours. Uh, However, I will do my best to hold it shorter than that. Uh, Let me back up into the wrong view first. And that is the the common view that it it hurts everyone. And this, I think, comes from a couple of places. One, for those of us that grew up in the 70s and and 80s, um, the increase in gas prices, uh, oil prices, did feel like it hurt everybody. But then, of course, it wasn't hurting the oil industry and the people who were selling the oil. Um, But I'll, I'll come back to that. And second, I think this whole view of it hurts everyone, therefore we must desperately stop it, and I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, uh, but, but it, it sure is a convenient way for neoliberal types to argue that when the economy is expanding and wages are finally being bid up, and yes, that's going to be inflationary, when, wage, when the people that work at the fast food places are going to be paid more, then yes, your hamburgers are going to be more expensive. Um, And when they when they outlawed slavery in the United States, cotton became more expensive. But you know what? Who cares? All right. That that wasn't the point. So these people have um, and I can make make the case here for the U.S. in particular are are paid very poorly. And at the end of an expansion, when there's a labor shortage and we've been at the price of labor. Oh, no. Say the neoliberal economists uh, who are both Republicans and Democrats. We've got to throw the economy into recession. Well, and, and if I can sell this as it's hurting everyone, then everyone's behind it. Uh, and, and that's exactly how people are feeling right now. Oh no, there's this inflation that's hurting everyone. Um, and, and so we've had a, a, a pattern, uh, at least since Reagan-Thatcher, so many horrible patterns since Reagan-Thatcher, um, of you know, every time the economy seems to be, all right, now we're really moving. And then the Federal Reserve or the Bank of England tries to slow everything down again. So, First of all, the the wrong view is rooted, I think, in the historical experience of many of us uh, from the oil crisis, because we were oil importing countries, Uh, and also from this Milton Friedman neoliberal view of the government's, you know, uh, keep our hands off and and, uh, uh, inflation is a terrible, horrible thing, uh, so we need to throw the economy into recession, which really hurts the working class more than anyone else. Uh, at least at that point of an expansion, if that's the cause of the inflation. So the right view is, uh, and what I had suggested when I was given the example of the 1970s and 80s inflation, clearly everyone wasn't worse off. Clearly there were people who were gaining tremendously from this. Uh, Inflation, you should always ask yourself, who's getting richer and who's getting poorer? Now, was it true that, that, that... oil exporting countries were also having to pay more for their Mercedes because of the inflation. Well, yeah. But I mean if your income goes up by 50% and the prices you pay go up by 10%, you're much better off. All right? So so this this now you might think to yourself, "Oh gosh, I'm paying 10% more, I could be even wealthier." Yeah, but the deal is you caused the inflation by, you know, withholding the oil which drove up the prices which made Texas a very popular place to be because of the oil industry here. We naturally moved here after the oil industry collapsed and so things were very bad. Inflation isn't an equal increase in prices everywhere. It's never going to do that. And, and I always find this funny that uh, certainly this isn't true of MMT scholars, but of supporters of MMT, we're always big on, hey, if the government has a deficit, then somebody else has to have a surplus. Why don't we say that with inflation? Hey, if I'm paying more, Somebody's getting more. It's
1: impossible for that not to be true. The second thing that you brought up in that article as well is that inflation triggers useful changes in production and consumption patterns. Could you elaborate on that point?
2: Yes, that's exactly the thing uh, with the um, distilleries is that what, what happened was when the prices went up for the you know alcohol, uh, for, for the medicinal alcohol, maybe I'll, I'll distinguish it that way. Uh, then people shifted away from the drinking alcohol that they've been producing, which was a shame because we all needed a lot of that. Uh, And and that's exactly what we wanted. In the 1970s, during the oil crisis, apparently the price of ceiling fans went way up because it was suddenly a huge demand to put, and I wish I had one in this room because Texas is very hot, but uh, ceiling fans, well, okay. I mean, we wanted more ceiling fans. Ceiling fans became more profitable and more ceiling fans were created. Now, there's absolutely a reason to want to resist increases in prices for things that are, you know, sort of essentials, like housing, for example. I mean, you know, we, we certainly, I'm not making a case for, oh, the market's wonderful, keep the government out. But I am saying that it's strange that that mainstream economics, one of the few times that the market does something that makes sense, they try to intervene and stop it. Uh, they try to throw the economy into recession because, oh, no, it's heating up. Um, and um, so th- th- that, that that is the issue that When the prices for these things go up right now, as I mentioned earlier, a big part of the increase in um, inflation in the U.S. And I was just looking at the numbers. I believe the price of used cars has increased by 45 percent over the past year, which is is really remarkable. Well, it's going to cause more cars to be produced. Right. So what do people want? They wanted more cars. Now, on the other hand, housing prices are going up here. And, And actually, Karen, I think you were talking about this earlier. A lot of it is just speculation that we don't want. That is not people wanting to live in homes, driving up the price and creating more homes for people to live in. Um but uh yeah, it can it, it can trigger useful changes in consumption and production patterns. Again, I'm not saying inflation's good. I'm saying inflation is like a fever when someone's sick, all right? It, it's a symptom of something else, all right? So you need to find out what's going on. Uh and if the fever is from your body fighting off an infection, oh well, we'll wait till the fever's done, and, and we'll have accomplished something positive. If it's from some sort of infection that your body is losing the battle to, uh, then no, we we want to stop that. But the inflation itself is only a symptom, and it can be a symptom of something that's actually a useful process.
1: Oh, I like that. I, I like any kind of anatomical ana- a- a- analogy. Yeah. <laughs> that always works for me. Um, <laughs> Now, you've, you've kind of touched on this as well, but I do want to segregate these points out for the audience. And the third one, inflation can result fr- from socially beneficial developments like rising wages. So you have touched on this. Again, could you maybe give us a little bit more information? Yeah. One of
2: the things that's really handy that you can look up uh, from, the, from, from MIT is they, they create a spreadsheet of living wages for every county, uh, I believe every county uh, in the United States. And uh, it, it, it's very conservative in how much it's assuming people will spend. I, I, when I go over these data in class, I say, look, uh, they're assuming that people spend eight dollars a day on food. All right. So uh, can you get away with that? Yeah. But, you you know, don't supersize it at McDonald's because you won't be able to afford it anymore. Um, so. Let, let's say that, and what I would really like, of course, is a job, job guarantee uh, is the way I would like to see us address the unemployment problem and, and the problem of, the, of uh, the working class. But let's say we just increase minimum wage. All right? It's a big debate in the U.S. right now. Uh, is that inflationary? Of course it is. Of course it's going to be more expensive to, to, to you know, make a hamburger or whatever. But if we have an industry that has to depend on starvation wages to exist, then it shouldn't exist. Um, and so there was a whole war fought about that over here. That there was an industry that wasn't going to be profitable if they weren't allowed to own other human beings. And I said, "Well, okay, then it shouldn't exist." But of course, if we increase minimum wage, that's going to cause the price of hamburgers and you know French fries and so forth to go up. Okay, I mean, if you want these people to be paid better, there is a cost. Uh, now, it also means that we're going to have less dependence on social services. We're going to have people who can take some pride in their lives. We're going to have uh, uh, you know less on uh, less crime and so forth. So, um, but every policy shouldn't have to end up being it benefits me, um, you know, monetarily or whatever. Um, it wouldn't benefit me. I mean, wh- I'm a college professor, so uh, I get to have cheap gardening uh, and cheap, you know, uh, uh, I guess you know, food at restaurants and so forth. They would become more expensive. But yes, uh, it can absolutely result from socially useful processes.
1: The fourth point you made as well is that money, increasing the money supply doesn't cause inflation. Again, can you elaborate on that for the audience?
2: Yes, that's something I used to teach um, because I learned it that way. And, And it's interesting, those of us coming from this perspective, almost all of us learned the mainstream view, and that's almost all we learned. And we had to, like, most of the people who felt like we did quit the program. Like well, this, this, in fact, I remember early on thinking um, this is insane. I'm learning about a model where it describes the Great Depression as people quit their jobs on purpose. It was all voluntary unemployment, and um, this is one of Milton Friedman's models. Um, and so I thought, what am I doing here? Uh, but then we, you know, found these other things. And so I, I have taught in the past that increased the money supply causes inflation. But then, you know, finally read enough post Keynesian work, which of course is the work inspired by Keynes which is not the same as Keynesian. Keynesian is, is the as Joan Robinson said, the bastardized version of what Keynes said. But um, think about that. This is Milton Friedman's explanation of why increasing the money supply causes inflation, right? It's from a a classic article that I had to read in grad school, uh, Optimum Quantity Theory of Money, something like that. Okay, so he sets up an island. Let's say there's this island, you know, and that's fine. I mean, we all do little examples like this. I'm not criticizing for that. We all have to make simplifying assumptions. Um, Everyone on the island already has a job, so we're at full employment. Everyone already has as much savings as they'd like to have, uh, as much as much of their savings in cash as they would like to have. They they don't really want any more cash. But then the, the central bank comes in and flies a helicopter. He said, let's just say a helicopter flies over. And at that point, you just say, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense because it, the the Federal Reserve is about to, or the central bank is about to engage in an act it can't engage in in the real world. And I don't just mean dropping it out of a helicopter, but I'll get I'll get back to that. But I just want to point that out as a place where we have to come back to. Uh, so he says the helicopter flies over, drops all the money out, uh, and people already had as much cash as they wanted. So when they got this new cash, they had an excess. Oh, what what do we call it? Excess money balances. And I've seen Paul Krugman use these concepts as well as. Um, excess money balances, and then we go out and spend them. And then that caused, and remember, we were already at full employment by assumption, uh, even though we were rarely at full employment. Uh, And then all we did was bid up prices, right? So so therefore don't do that. Um, All right, well, above and beyond the assumption of full employment, what the helicopter pilot in that example did was increase people's income. That's fiscal policy. That's not monetary policy. Monetary policy only changes one asset from one form to another. Uh, If I'm the U.S. Federal Reserve and I'm engaging in an open market purchase, so that I can I have brand new dollar bills I want in the economy, I buy Treasury bills from you. All right, so you're no wealthier than you were before. Um, And and so as a now it's possible that you may take those dollars and go and spend them. um, But there's no such thing as I gave you more more cash than you wanted, and that's the whole. Core of the monetarist argument and what's derived from that, just in general, that we can give people more cash than they wanted, and then they will they'll spend it and cause inflation. If you take that out, the whole thing falls apart. It's impossible to give people money they don't want. Now, fiscal policy can cause inflation, uh, but as it did during World War II uh, in the United States, when we were at full employment and still spending, 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 it caused uh, terrible inflation. It would have if it hadn't been for wage and price controls. Um, but, uh, no, monetary policy can't. You cannot give people money they don't want. Therefore, you cannot give them excess money balances. It's very interesting. The economics discipline in the U.S. sees interest rates as terribly important. If we lower those, the economy takes off. If we raise them, the economy collapses. And yet, when they do empirical research on it, they find that, uh, for example, with firms building you know, new investment, um, they don't care that much about interest rates. They'd rather have lower than higher, but they don't care that much. The, the, the real key here is that printing money and... Using monetary policy to inject it into the, into the economy is not inflationary. Printing money and having the government spend it as fiscal policy, as the United States did during World War II, absolutely can be. But that's not their argument. Their argument is all about monetary policy. But th- that is the bottom line. Monetary policy. And, and I have, if you look for money growth can't cause inflation, uh, and Forbes and John Harvey, you'll see that piece that I wrote years ago now um, that kind of went over
0: all the issues involved. I was born in 1974 in Scotland, and the level of inflation that year was 16.4%. And it's been really interesting hearing you talk about this, because inflation has, for my whole life, been this bogeyman, that it is the thing that derails economies. And I'm sure there is still truth behind that. And, you know, we hear these examples of what's happened in other countries and, and at other times, but asking you to kind of look back on those forty years, you know, since that, since the mid seventies, and um, did we take the correct actions to curb inflation in the West, or should we have done something that completely different?
2: Uh, that's a very good question. Um, and uh, let me say, first of all, I, I have a, I, I speak to a lot of civic groups, you know, uh, little. You know, uh, the Unitarian Church has a little, you know, a group and, and so forth. So anyway, I, I have a whole file of, of PowerPoints that I use to give presentations. And one of them is on inflation and all the people in the U.S. who were saying after the financial crisis that we're about to have hyperinflation because of the Federal Reserve, um, you, know, you know, monetizing the U.S. deficit spending and so forth. And when you look at the data. This was after the financial crisis, and on it was one of the lowest periods of inflation since World War II. All right. So that didn't happen. And I, I, and when I use this in class, I show my students and I have it broken down by decade. I said, if you really wanted to understand inflation, what decade would you really want to know about Well, the 1970s? Because you can see it right there. It has the highest rate. It's like, I want to know about that. I'm curious about that. What happened there? So uh, absolutely. That is a very key time. Uh, I was 13 in 1974, which means that I was learning to drive. In '77 and gas prices were through the roof, and I couldn't drive. They could have limited the supply of oil at any time. There, there was no reason why they had to wait until 1973. But there was always this interesting political problem. Let's say the three of us are, you know, dominate the oil uh, market, and we are all going to agree to reduce the total supply of oil to X. Well, I want as big a chunk of that X as I can get. We're going to be driving the price way up. So none of us really wants to cut back that much because if, if the other two of you cut way back and I don't, I'm filthy rich. You've helped drive the price up by cutting back on how much oil you're pumping out of the ground uh, and I, I get to win. So after the war, though, they were like, tell me where to sign. All right, I, we're ticked off. Uh, we're not going to let this happen again. Uh, and we're going to let the West know what, you know, we mean business in a different way. So we have a like tripling of oil prices and so forth. Now, how do you fight that? Um, You certainly do not do what the United States did in the Volcker recession. All right. So the 8082 recession was caused on purpose by the Federal Reserve in the U.S. because it was dominated by monetarists and they were trying to throw the economy into a deep recession, which they greatly succeeded at. It was the worst recession since the Great Depression. And as far as the height of that it was still worse than the financial crisis recession, although the financial crisis one was, was longer. Um, so they did this on purpose, all right, to try to get rid of the inflation. Now, what is that going to accomplish? I, I'm a consumer and I got to go out and buy gas that's you know, uh, much more expensive, and then that price, of course, the price of gas uh, filters into so many other products as well because people have to be shipped by you know, uh, you use you know, fuel to ship things and so forth. Um, so but I know this is going to help a bunch of you who are about to be out of work. Uh, Um, no, that doesn't help at all. And that, that is the strategy. Uh, I don't know what happened in in the UK to try to fight that. Um, but in the short run, there was nothing that could be done. Uh, certainly what you didn't want to do was make people's lives even more difficult, which is what they did. Um, in the long run, what they did was, uh, people learned to, you know, shift uh, different production processes shifted away from oil. Um, it, it made finding oil in the North Sea profitable. Um, It wasn't before. And so they found more oil. And unfortunately, it made fracking. But that was much later. Um, So uh, the only solution was was political or or, you know, political A and B, a long term, you know, learning to be less dependent on oil. But did we approach it the right way? William, which is what was your question uh, in the US? Absolutely not. Now, here's the really unfortunate thing is that oil prices started to come down not long after that. And so they're all patting themselves on the back. Aha, we did it. We solved inflation. Um, when in fact, and I, I love doing this with my students, what two countries went to war, uh, and it was it 1980 or 79, uh, that have almost the exact same name? Um, and then they eventually get around to Iran-Iraq. I said, that's right. Iraq invaded Iran, hoping that the Iranian revolution would make it, um, you know, well, well we're going to go in there and they'll just collapse. Well, instead, it was like the movie Independence Day, where the aliens come to Earth and we all get together. Well, that's what Iran did. They all got together. It actually united the country in a way that uh, Saddam Hussein was not expecting. And while the other, um, you know, OPEC countries are still restricting the supply, they're like, "Screw this! You know, we're going to sell more oil because you know we need the money for the war." And then everyone else is saying, "Well, if they're cheating, I'm cheating." Uh, and so the whole, you know, cartel fell apart, and oil prices not only slowed down their rate of increase, but actually decreased. Uh, So that's what solved the war. I'm I'm sorry, that's what solved the
0: inflation. Leading into the Thatcher government, they used that as an excuse to completely um, disable the unions. Yes. And And that was a huge, inflation became a huge political benefit to them. And also at that time, we had North Sea oil coming on stream so right. there was a there was a revenue stream coming in as well at that time. So, um, but inflation absolutely fundamentally laid the ground for neoliberalism in the UK, and that's a concern that we've got is that because people are seeing inflation tick up again. there's going to be this remember the 1970s and that's really what i wanted to get out from you today is that it's it's a completely different situation and and i'd love you to just very briefly tell tell our audience why inflation in the 1970s is so different from the type of inflation that we would experience now right right
2: as a matter of fact i have a a chapter forthcoming in, in a book put together by MMT Scotland. Uh, and one of the things I addressed in there was the 1973 IMF crisis. Is that what it was? Um, and, and and not to go into that, but once again, if you read the background on it, there wasn't a crisis. The, um, uh, the, oh, um, liberal party, uh, not labor, liberal party, they wanted to go neoliberal. And so they used it as an excuse. Uh, and, and so they didn't even need Thatcher at that point. But anyway, um, So, no, in the 1970s, uh, that inflation, again, always start with redistribution of income. Who is getting wealthier? And does that make me happy or sad? It can really be that simple. Uh, In the 1970s, who was getting wealthier? Oil oil companies, the state of Texas, uh, and the oil exporters. Well, uh, as I said earlier, there's not much we could have done about it because it was a political issue. But, no, it doesn't make me very happy, Uh, especially – I mean, we are privileged – What about people in the developing world uh, who depended heavily on oil? This created massive debt uh, in the the developing world. We had the whole petrodollar recycling uh, phenomenon. So the 1970s uh, inflation, ask yourself who was better off and do you think that was beneficial or or harmful? Now, today, as the economy is taking off in the U.S. and we see um, uh, prices rising, used cars, as I mentioned earlier, Uh, And also, you know, we see lots of those health wanted signs right now at like um, fast food restaurants and restaurants. They can't get enough workers. Um, So they're going to bid up the wages of those workers. I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with that. That's a that's a different source of inflation. Uh, The the people who will be getting wealthier. I'm okay with them getting wealthier. The people who got wealthier when we needed more uh, medicinal alcohol. I was okay with that the people who got wealthier when we needed more ceiling fans in the 70s that's okay because it, it, it performed you know there's some scottish guy named adam smith who talked about this um and he said you know that that uh, well, well, the invisible hand that we're helping other people uh without intending to do so and that can happen I, in general i you know i think that there's some serious flaws in the capitalist system um but there are times where, are like okay good that'll cause more ceiling fans to be produced could we get the government involved, too? Sure. You know, if it's a desperate need, but um, but you have to ask right now. Uh, and you can look up the data. It's, it, as I said, U.S. inflation numbers just came out today and uh, they showed where the prices went up the most. OK. Am I OK with
1: that or not? So. Most advanced economies have actually lived through a deflationary period. I mean, certainly there, you know, throughout my lifetime, I'll be 55 this year. A lot of things that were incredibly expensive, even 10 years ago, I'm thinking, for example, a laptop, you know, and how, how, how incredibly that expensive, that, that, that fold away computer was when it first arrived on the scene. But on the whole, my understanding is that, you know, advanced economies have experienced deflation, partly because age and populations was one of the, the, the reasons. Um, I also wondered if perhaps that people like myself are, are very much more tuned into ecology and are concerned about just not buying stuff I don't need or in fact buying it secondhand if possible as well. I think that
2: probably a lot more has to do with outsourcing. If I can get someone to do this for $10 an hour instead of 35 and for them to be able to work over an open flame while in a gasoline suit because there are no regulations here, it's going to be a lot cheaper. Uh, and that's speaking of Will Milberg, uh, one of the things he talks about in his book on, on international trade is this massive influx of new labor that took place. Uh, first of all, when the Berlin wall fell. And so now we have all these workers that have been added in at lower wages. Uh, and then of course we have, you know, firms exploiting labor in Indonesia and in the far East. Um, so, uh, I think that probably most of the decline in prices comes from that. I mean, uh, I'm sure almost every bit of this was was uh, made in China. So we've externalized inflation. Yeah. 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 And what we did was, well, as as William pointed out, we beat the unions to death. Uh, And of course, they did that in the U.S. as well. When uh, under um, uh, Reagan, Um, I think a big part of the uh, of any deflation
0: comes from the fact that um, we've driven wages way down. Central banks still have price stability as their core function. So is curbing inflation so important that it seems to trump all other objectives in the economy? Please please
2: don't use that word that you just used. Um, <laughs> trump. Sorry. Trump. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, you'd be surprised how many Trump flags there still are up here in Texas. Great. Uh, so um, I, I would start off by saying I wouldn't call inflation good or bad. Uh, again, immediately check who is gaining, who is losing. So always that's the question. Uh, inflation is simply a side effect of a redistribution of income. Um, then absolutely not. There there is no reason for central banks to have as their goal price stability. Uh, the real way to control those prices. Uh, are, is not going to be through monetary policy because monetary policy doesn't cause it in the first place. So monetary policy also really doesn't solve it. Um, let, let's say that you have an industry that is uh, highly concentrated, like the healthcare industry in the U.S., uh, and you want to you know pull prices down. Uh, Because, I mean, year after year, I mean, I know you've seen these numbers. Americans pay more per capita on health care than anybody else on the planet. And we rank like 35th in life expectancy. So you'd expect a little better than that. Um, So the way to control that, though, is through either government regulation or break up the health care firms or, gosh, what a radical idea that every other developed nation on the planet already has, and that is having um, uh, public health. Uh, But... um, It makes no sense. Their goal should be full employment, uh, and and that's it. So the the inflation, even if it becomes a problem, which it absolutely can,
0: it's not dealt with by monetary policy. The ECB just released their latest monetary uh, guidance, and I'd like your help on this because it says the ECB adopts symmetric two percent inflation target over medium term. Now, any idea what that means and what impact? Uh, that target's likely to have for the euro and beyond. So it was the symmetric 2% inflation over the medium term.
2: Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. All right. I see. Um, Apparently, and I just looked it up. uh, Well, uh, Google tells us or Wikipedia tells us that symmetric uh, inflation targeting is that we're going to try to control inflation if it goes above or below the target. All right. So as opposed to, you know, well, we're okay if it goes below, but we don't want it to go above. Uh, That's not the case. Symmetric is both directions. Um, And gosh, two percent is is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the uh, European Union tends to be set up for France and Germany uh, and not so much for everyone else. Uh, And it's everyone else that's going to have a terrible problem with that and they're going to be told that they need to tighten their belts so that they can get 25% unemployment and things like this. Uh, But uh, no, that that makes no
0: sense to me. Great. And that that is over the medium term. So I think that's giving them a little bit of leeway over the next two to five years. But you can definitely say that longer into or medium term, that they're still going to be looking for this tight fiscal policy. Right, right, right. John, you mentioned that um, full employment should be... The target for central banks. Could you tell me what Nehru is? Um, and, and Karen has referred to as the nefarious Nehru. And I'd love to know uh, what that is in terms of inflation and how it relates to full employment. Non-accelerating inflation. Inflationary rate
1: unemployment.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, this well, now this one's locked into the idea that all inflation is bad and that there is a trade-off between unemployment and inflation such that when unemployment goes down, inflation goes up because there's you know more competition, say, in the labor market, for example. And when unemployment goes down, I'm sorry, when unemployment goes up, inflation comes down because there's there's excess you know, uh, laborers and so we don't have to pay as much. The, the economy is all about the laborers. I mean, uh, it, it should not be a target that, uh, as, as Pavlina Chernova says, just the right amount of unemployment, uh, you know, and and so so that's what narrow is about to have just the right amount of unemployment. How do we know it's just right? Uh, inflation is not accelerating. It's at 2% and staying there or at 3% and staying there, or whatever. And um, first off, I would say that the kind of inflation caused that that, that is trying to address wherein um, you have low unemployment, I say, let that inflation go. This is redistributing income to workers uh, in that are highest demand, and very likely the workers who have been most screwed. It's not when unemployment's really low. It's not that oh no CEO wages are being bid up. It's that oh no McDonald's wa- you know wages are being bid up. Uh, let it happen. But you know, and it's also related to, but not the same as Milton Friedman's idea of the natural rate of unemployment. That um, it, it, there's a rate towards which the economy is automatically attracted. Right uh, and it can change over time, which, by the way, if it's your theory, makes it really convenient. Uh, oh, that, that's it right now. Um, and uh, the definition that he gives, uh, which I've, I've shared with my class before, someone online, it's when all markets clear, uh, you know, it, it, it's a very fuzzy definition. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, God works in mysterious ways. Uh, and so so does the natural rate of, un- of unemployment. But uh, Nehru is, yeah, is used as an inflation, uh, you know, just the right amount of unemployment to keep inflation from accelerating, well good lord Uh, during the 70s that wouldn't have worked at all because when the oil prices went up and the inflation went up, so did the unemployment, so now what is our Nehru, Uh, you know, 50%
0: unemployment, I don't know it's a very damaging concept Yeah, we all know about this traditional definition of inflation that there's too much money chasing too few products and services, but I wanted to ask about another form of inflation the inflation caused by monopolistic pricing. What role does this tend to play in an economy? And why don't we ever hear about this type of inflation? Yeah, that, that used to be
2: actually a big topic. Um, and then, and I assume under Thatcher as well, under Reagan, we stopped, we stopped enforcing antitrust laws uh, because if the market's doing it, it must be right. But that's, that, 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 that fits exactly into um, what I'm trying to talk about here. Just because there's inflation isn't good or bad, who's getting the money? Well, if it's monopolistic firms that are able to, you know, for, by, by whatever means, uh, control the market, then it's not good. Uh, they, they are attracting more resources than consumers really want them to have. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so absolutely. And of course, you can't address monopolistic inflation, which is the kind that, well, OPEC was a perfect example of that on a global scale, but you can't address it with monetary policy. It's impossible. Uh, there's no way you can do that.
0: There's, there's a huge amount of uh, monopolistic pricing going on in the UK and the amount of assets that we have privatized and given over to monopolistic companies oh, is huge and we know that's a huge problem and with any any percentage of inflation but it's something that not only do people know about I don't think many people even think about so um, it's it's important I think that we we kind of cover that when we're looking at inflation.
2: Right. I totally agree. And, and that's what I, what I say in class is I, I differentiate between demand driven inflation. We want more medicinal you know, alcohol or whatever versus the sort of supply side driven kind, uh, uh, which, which is what you're talking about. And the, the Economist even came out with a piece not too terribly long ago talking about how um, how much more concentrated industries are becoming uh, in the West. And this is I mean, you know, I, I can now be a, I can now be a hardcore, you know, Adam Smith supporter and say that's bad. Uh, that, the point was competition. The only way you get the good outcomes that are supposedly accompanying capitalism is with competition. Um, but no, uh, th- th- that is absolutely a huge issue. And, and that piece on um, uh, th- that I have at Forbes on money growth doesn't cause inflation. I have a follow up piece the next day or so. It's actually my most read piece is what actually causes inflation. And, and it goes into that as well. Um, but you're absolutely right. And I, you're right. People don't know about it. And of course, and, and this is a different topic, but, you know, we're privatizing all these, um, well, we're, we're starving public um, industry, if you will, and then blaming it for its you know failure and then privatizing it. Uh, and the same things happened over here, although we don't have nearly as much public, you know, Services to start with.
0: That's what's happening with the NHS in yep. Um, yep. in England and a little but to a lesser extent Scotland without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. So, so um, thanks, thanks again for coming and speaking. And and um, we'll we we'll hopefully we will speak to you again, John.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, perhaps I can share a glass of Lafroy with you at some point. Uh one in, day, yes.
1: yes, yes. <laughs> thanks
0: so much. Thanks, John. Bye now.
1: Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Bye.
0: Well, I hope you all enjoyed that that's the third time I've watched it, and I'm still scribbling making notes um from the stuff that John said uh Kieran, what did you think of the interview and uh, are you got any takeaways oh i i i can't you i can't hear you um I'll just double check and see if um see if our audience can. Hi, can you sorry. Let me... oh, is oh, that me you now? Hello again. Sorry. <laughs>
1: um, the, the, I should have taken myself off a of mute. That would help. Um, so the first point that John makes is that inflation is an average of uh, goods and services. Um, and I think that's an important take-home for a lot of people. I think um, a lot of people confuse um, inflation as described by economists uh, with uh, asset price inflation. Um, and I think the other important mm. point he makes was that um, who benefits and are you okay with that? How do you feel about that? Is that okay? Um, and then the third point that I I really took home as well was his thoughts about deflation and that really it's um, advanced economies have, have outsourced it and externalised it.
0: Great. Yeah. Oh, I, I think I've got about fifteen takeaways from that talk. So really interesting. I'd love to know what people who are watching um, and watch it on playback, what their takeaways, if they could drop that into the comments, that'd be great. I, I, I like the the difference between the supply side inflation and the, the demand side inflation. I thought that was really interesting. And someone on Twitter today was talking about the, 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 the inflation caused by banks. Um, uh, lending on 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 houses and everything else, so I, I I'm going to look into that. I think it's really fascinating uh, when we're when we're looking at inflation. And um, so in terms of the comments, we had a couple of shouts out for Adam Smith, um, who he's obviously is no longer with us, but I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Um, and and um, yeah, just I I, I think I, I think. The the point I wanted to get across is that um, inflation has been this kind of thing that we've always been really, really scared by, Uh, and I'm really pleased that um, our audience who follow us on Twitter, at uh, at Scotonomics 1, I did a little poll I don't know if you've seen the result of this but in the poll yesterday I said um, ahead of tomorrow's episode on inflation we asked the most basic question, is inflation in a modern economy A. Evil, end at all costs 0%, so Smart cookies here, um, good and bad. It depends. 85, uh, percent and then people say it's a good, really good thing. 15. So 85% of the audience, I think, already agreeing with. Uh, I think my kind of summary um, of what John was saying and what you picked up as well is that ask who that money is going to um, before you decide if it's a good or bad thing or not.
1: Yeah, and the comparison he makes with the MMT scholars about you know. It, someone's money uh, somewhere is someone else's, you know, someone's debt is someone's savings. There's, there, you know, there are two sides to it. So you have to look at what's going on as, as a politician would need to do. I know that for uh, politicians, inflation's toxic. And this is why they try to avoid it because it will, it will take them out of office and this is what they fear. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mentioned the
0: Nairu as well um, for mm-hmm. that reason yeah yeah it, it, you're absolutely bang on there if if you're trying to if you're trying to rerun and you uh, to get back into government and your government was running and inflation was at double digits yeah, that's it. It just seems like that's the end of the the end of your campaign. it's It's still such a toxic thing uh, to happen. Well, that's inflation. um next episode in a couple of weeks' time, uh, we're going to look at what I think is an even more interesting topic, and this is around the measurement of an economy, GDP, GNP. What does that tell us? How are we supposed to run our economy based on these things? When we look at growth fig- figures, is this all that we're really concentrating on? So th- that's a fascinating um, topic. We haven't done the interview yet. um Kieran, do you want to tell us a little bit about the couple of uh, people we've got to cover that for us in a couple of weeks? So,
1: yeah, I'm delighted that we have managed to get Gav and Pete from the Economics in 10 podcast. Um, if anyone of our audience that has ever listened to them they're a couple of economics teachers um, and they are it's probably the loveliest podcast um, I think they, they enjoy a glass of wine while they're doing it as well and um, yeah I, I really like it it's maybe not always very highbrow but it's always very entertaining so look okay. forward to having
0: That, that yeah. sounds like this interview with John will only be your favourite interview for about two weeks and <laughs> um, <laughs> until we do that, one. I think I might have a little whiskey, um, if that's if that's of the flavour. Um, of the interview Um, well thanks very much everyone for joining us Um, we've now got our website uh, which is all up and running and uh, hosting some of our blogs and it also hosts our interviews that Cairn and I have done so you get to know us a little bit better and also a shortcut to some of our shows so check that out at scotonomics.scot. and please do follow us on twitter at scotonomics one and until a couple of weeks time bye for now bye everyone bye bye